Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick. We will spend over an hour talking Vanderbilt baseball. Chip appears on the guest line that is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael's a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. Now on to our interview with Chip Frederick. Chip Frederick joins us today. Chip, I'm looking at my call records. It's been eight months since you and I did a podcast. That's been too long, but I've been busy. I'm just getting over being ill, and we got a lot of baseball to talk. So we're glad you're here, and thank you so much for joining us. Good to be back on, Chris. And yeah, it seems like in some ways it was yesterday. And if your phone records are correct, and it's been that long, it's kind of crazy. But a lot going on with uh, with Vanderbilt sports and people's lives and all that. But it's good to be back on here to talk a little baseball with you. And um, the events of last week were uh, I, I was uh, I followed the games and was out of town for two of them. Uh, managed to catch some of the third game, and but was able to watch a lot of it and just. Uh, just this topsy-turvy uh, season that it seems like the entire conference is having and this team is having them, different ebbs and flows of how um, this league – I mean, yeah, I think – and you might be able to confirm this. There were more sweeps last year than I ever – last weekend, excuse me, that I remember in a single weekend. It was just weird stuff, and weird stuff's going on. We can probably get into it, but just – the parody that exists in college baseball, maybe more than the other sports, just how you've got teams like Austin P who just, I think they, they, um, 17, 18 new players this past year through the portal. And you're seeing teams that are just changing and evolving their rosters annually. And what it's causing is a lot of parody and a lot of upsets midweek. I don't recall, in all the years that I've been following college baseball, this many premier upsets on Tuesday and Wednesdays. Um, I, I don't recall seeing this many in a long, long time, if ever. Uh, and that just goes to show you what's going on with the game of baseball. Some people like it. Some people think it's, it's um, you know, uh, it, it booster, boosts the the followings and the and and attendance and and the enthusiasm for the game, but it sure is unusual. And um, I think it's going to continue throughout the the rest of the remainder of the year. And and makes uh, good things to talk about on message boards and podcasts and broadcasts. But uh, that's where we are. And as we head into a week two of the SEC season, yeah, I and probably less thrilled about a lot of the direction of college baseball right now than I have been since I've covered it. If you want to combine the portal and NIL and, and lots of things and the, just the crazy offensive numbers where I don't know how kids pitch anymore sometimes, although Vanderbilt didn't have any trouble last weekend. I just think that it's a, it's a lot of disasters in some ways piled on top of one another, and I hope that the off season will will 
see some things change, but that, that again, that's another topic for another day. And the one at hand is Vanderbilt. And I'll be honest, Chip, I didn't expect Vanderbilt to win that series with the ease it which it did. It was stunning to me. In fact, I thought if you'd if you'd put a gun to my head, I thought we must would probably come in and win the series just because I didn't like the way Vanderbilt had hit. And boy, was I wrong about that. Vanderbilt seems to have gotten, excuse me, just gotten a lot of things together just in time for conference to play to start, I think is in great shape heading to Starkville this weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I I kind of feel the same way you did. You had a team, top three team in the country coming in here. And although there's some some warning signs about Ole Miss, uh, you know, they'd lost in the middle of the week to Jacksonville State. Um, they had that loss coming in. And um, I think that's right. Didn't they lose to Jacksonville State before? Was that a loss they took midweek before the Vanderbilt series? I, I you know, they've taken some losses, I know, Midweek, just like everybody else has, and um, but boy, you know things kind of for them unraveled, and they just never could get things straight. I know they they have some hurt arms now. Uh, you know, Ole Miss has got some guys who yeah, who, two um, two big who, ones in Mallets and Hunter sure. Elliott. Yeah, and possible Tommy John, and it seems like that's plaguing that that team for years that they've had some major arms that have, they've taken some losses on. So yeah, I, it just, it, it was, um, the way things went just in, in, in those things in the sec happen, um, from being a former player to witness it, you jump on uh, somebody on a Friday night and things kind of pile on. And then you win the emotional swing game on Tuesday. And it's like Tim Corbin said on Sunday, never in a million years, are you thinking sweep in this league, especially as balanced as it is and has been? And, and, and with a team like Ole Miss, the defending national champions now, defending being the word, they've got some pieces that are missing from that team that want it all. And but you don't plan for a sweep or you sit there and talk, you don't talk about it. It just, it's one of those things that you win the first two and then the, you know, there's a lot of pressure in the other dugout as far as winning that game three, and it, it that's it, it rarely happens, and it happened what three or four times last weekend in the league, which which as I mentioned is an anomaly. So, um, yeah, I mean everything from this team, and I think Chris, when you look at the weekend stats from the pitching standpoint, I mean when you get a pitching staff that throws, you know, as well as they did, 26 innings with you know, 23 strikeouts and four walks, you're going to beat a whole lot of people. Uh, you don't put people on base. You, you, you pitch to contact, you got people playing well behind you, you get ahead in the count and that's just what happened. And, you know, Hunter Owens performance says a lot you got player of the week and, and who saw that coming two, three months ago and even two, three weeks ago. And the kid was pitching well, but, he pitched. Uh, he pitched incredibly well, and as did everybody. The six guys they rolled out there it was just an easy week. And when you when you got and also the Nick Maldonado, when you use him two innings and it's on Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, game three, it, you have the comforts of having a, a a stock bullpen. It's just all those advantages were playing in the Vanderbilt's hands. And then the offensive side of it, when you have the the just the the numbers across the board hitting for the weekend. Like they did, you hit 426 for the week. Excuse me, you hit uh, the average 346 for the weekend. 
you know, Bradfield kind of gets un, un, unwound a little bit, although he got caught stealing once. But, you know, he, he had a very good weekend. He seems like hopefully he's starting to get back to himself. And, you know, guys, uh, the, the maneuvers that Corbin did changing around the infield seemed to, to, to play to his advantage as far as just switching and kind of switching the chairs on the deck uh, as far as positions on the middle infield. And it seems like it works well. And then who would have thought? Again, we t- who would have thought Jack Bolger two, three weeks ago would have happened and he has a big game midweek and then he comes in and 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 has five hits on the weekend and five RBIs and just and and re- looks like he was seeing the ball like it was a beach ball. So it just shows you this this league is uh, this team, you know, I think the margin of error, Chris, is very little still for this team. I don't think when you look at the, you know, the as far as D1 baseball, is Vanderbilt the fourth best team in the in the country in college baseball? Probably not. Um, I don't think Ole Miss is the thirteenth. You know, Ole Miss is the third either. I mean, somewhere in between. I don't think Ole Miss was as good, but I don't think they're as as bad as they played last weekend. And maybe on an overall sense, though, this team was played lights out last weekend. I really still am not convinced that they're a top four program. I don't know if you do. At this point, I just think things fell right for them, but also think the margin of error is really, really, really thin for this team. They have to pitch really well, um, and if they don't, um, I don't think they're going to be able to hit the ball as well as they did. Now, they might be able to against Mississippi State this weekend, who I don't think is as they're not very good right now and haven't been. But um, so the first two weekends might be, you know, on the positive side, you might see some good things, but it's a long season, man. It's a really long season, and I think this has got to play out, and they got to stay steady and and stay the course. Yeah, I thought last week the polls had them overrated. I don't oh, yeah. feel that way right now. I really don't, and I've got a, I've got a big sheet that I look at uh, that's got stats for – basically every player in the SEC. So I look at them team by team, and then I'll run some advanced things on it. I just think, Chip, they've got so much pitching that they're going to be hard to beat, even if the offense is below average. Just so many guys. And it's not just like team ERA and stuff. It's like looking and going, how many guys can you trust on weekends? And they got more guys that you can trust on weekends than we saw last weekend. And that was against an Ole Miss team that – for all Ole Miss's struggles right now, they've not been hitting uh, to make Ole Miss look that silly, you know. And, and a lot of that was the fielding. I, I think the right and buttons seem to have been pushed on the infield, where that's kind of a it feels right now like a lock it down defensive infield. You know what you're going to get with Bradfield and in center. Polk's been playing well and and left defensively. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I don't know how to feel about the margin of error thing because it kind of felt like you had a lot of guys hitting for them. I know that the the, the output hadn't been pretty, and, man, that Loyola series, it just seemed like it was one weak ground ball after another. But it also felt like they couldn't get any worse than that, A, and, and B, a lot of guys had either hit before or there was enough reason to think there was some promise there you know, absent what was right in front of you. You know, a lot of these guys were highly regarded high school recruits, draft prospects, those sorts of things, guys that had been around a while that had done it before, you name it. It felt to me like 
that their hitting is what scared me. That's why I thought they they probably would get in a slugfest maybe with Ole Miss and just wouldn't be able to keep up. But that's not the way it happened. And, man, those hits too, Chip, it wasn't like they were just bleeding ground balls through the infield all weekend. And they they were hitting ball with authority. And and Bradfield, who's supposed to be their best hitter coming in the year, just does not look like himself. Between the other guys, I I guess for – almost having to hit better because they didn't think it could have gotten a lot worse between having Bradfield hurt and all of a sudden those guys showing up and and really really hitting the ball with authority all over the yard last weekend uh, it it feels like maybe uh, I need to see a little bit more and maybe just we look back at the end of the year was a fluke but I, I see a lot more promise across the board than they did a week ago and I was concerned a week ago yeah, and and you and it's such a small sample size as far as conference games. I mean, you look at this team; they're sixteen and five, and overall, and they're three and zero in the SEC. But this is, a, I mean, this is a long, long track that you got over the next two months. And on paper, I mean, this schedule's backloaded. I mean, that you the next six SEC games, Vanderbilt's playing teams that are zero and zero and six right now combined with with uh, Mississippi State and Georgia. And then you've got, you know, Missouri after that. So theoretically, you're looking at it, you're going, man, they could make some serious hay. Well, they they better because after that, you've got South Carolina and UT and and Kentucky and Alabama all in a row. But it, it, it seems like, it's, I think it's quite obvious that they could make some hay here the first nine, 12 games of the season. Uh, and you've you got to win as many as you can. But, you know, it just, it's, it's, it didn't feel right. Um, I know he wasn't deserving to play early because I think he, for the, at the time being, he got beat out. But you just kind of felt Jack Bolger had been through enough and seen as many at-bats as he had already in his college career that he was going to have to rebound if he got his chance, and he did, and he responded, and things like that. You know, the Shrek, who's the veteran who's who, you know, Corbin talks about you know, the number of at-bats that these kids have had when you can't, you can't replicate the experience that you've get with, with college at-bats and you've got Shrek who's had four years of those. So, you know, it's, um, things tend to work themselves out if you get another chance, but we've talked about this in podcasts before. It's hard with the talent that you have usually on this, on this roster that if you mess up and you, you don't take advantage of your opportunities, you're, you're, you're getting buried and you're not going to get the same opportunities and it's going to take you a while and you better capitalize or you're going to be sitting there at the end of the bench. I mean, you know, look what Patrick Riley in case in point on the pitching side. I mean, he's thrown 13 and third innings, but he hasn't been rolled out there in a long, long time, and it's because he hadn't performed. And there's guys ahead of him; they just move up the conveyor belt. And and um, so uh, I, I was impressed that Bolger did what he did, and some of these other guys thrust in the lineup. When you get your chance, you got to you got to take it and run with it. And these guys have uh, certainly done that as of late, especially last weekend. Yeah, um, you mentioned something on the schedule. They have really got a chance to to put themselves in a good spot. Uh, Mississippi State and then Georgia, those will probably be the two easiest series they're going to have the rest of the year. Uh, ben, you're looking at, at Missouri, a team that I think is a legit top 25 team right now and is ranked this week. South Carolina, a team that I think is a top five team, team in the league right now. At Tennessee, 
That's going to be interesting for a bunch of reasons. Tennessee, by the way, next five weekends, <coughs> excuse me, Texas A&M at LSU, Florida, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. Uh, the schedule makers did the Vols no favors there. Then back to Vandy, Kentucky. Kentucky team was better than anybody thought. A trip to Alabama that won't be easy. Trip to Florida won't be easy. Home series with Arkansas that won't be easy. Um, we talked about the schedule before the season. This is a spot, though, where Vanderbilt can can rack up some wins and build in itself a little margin for error against a schedule that that might lend itself to needing some of that later. Well, what you said, I mean, I think it's been made a point in, in several sites that, the, you know, Vanderbilt's lost some games against ranked teams, but they have more wins against ranked teams. They probably get the best out. resume yeah. in the country, I bet. Oh, yeah. If not, so, it's I mean, really close. Yeah, so, the, you know, you, the, the wins that they've, they've amassed. And you look at, you just wonder if some of these teams in the SEC, when you look at them, <clears throat> I don't think Tennessee's played anybody. I mean, I, you know, and you wonder if that's coming to, to bite them um, on the back, you know, on the back end as they prepare for conference play. I don't know who South Carolina's played. They're 20 and two Kentucky. I mean, they're 19 and two. Well, last time Kentucky was 19 and two. I don't know when that was, but I, I, I think, you know, some of these, I don't think LSU's played a very, for, they played Texas, um, had a win in there mixed in, but, uh, you know, some, it's the first time in a long, long time that I've looked at the standings on both the East and the West. And I've seen so uh, many inflated numbers on the overall record, 20 and two, 19 and two, 16 and three, that, you know, 19 and two with Arkansas, LSU and Alabama being 19 and two, 19 and two, 18 and four respectively. I don't think I've ever seen that. Usually right around now, you've seen some teams, even with, 500 records or maybe even upside down. And even Mississippi state at the bottom of the league at zero and three, they're 14 and eight. It sure doesn't seem that way. I don't think the, the league as a whole has played as strong of a schedule from top to bottom like Vanderbilt has. And that's a tribute to you want to get your guys to see what good is, what good pitching is. Um, and if you would have told me, that this team was 16 and five and overall and had the losses that they did against the teams they have lost to Nebraska faced a really good pitcher when they lost, but that, that, that didn't seem, if you would have told me, I would have bet you money that they wouldn't have lost to Arkansas or, I mean, excuse me, Nebraska. And then the midweek game that they lost to central Arkansas, I think it was, and those are ones you think you're going to get. And they're still 16 and five. There's quality ones sprinkled in there They've got, um, you know, none of them were per se on the road. They were neutral side, but still that that's going to get you a lot of favor down the road when it comes to their strength schedule RPI when that's, when all, that's all uh, factored in. Yeah, well, I don't know if people have noticed, but UCLA is the number one RPI team in the country right now, and Vanderbilt's got a series win there. So right. that is going to be one that's going to be feathering their cap. The the Big 12 taking two out of three there is going to be the same. I don't know how much the Ole Miss series win is going to be worth in the end. I guess we'll see. I, Ole Miss has got to be better than it was this weekend, but it's got pitching issues. And they but, got Florida yeah. this weekend coming into Oxford. That's going to be tough. I mean, that with, with the pitching issues. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. they they got a they got a rebound there. All right, back back to Vandy. 
How good do you feel about the offense at this point? I would have liked to have seen how a full game against Lipscomb played out. I guess the what they played three innings, didn't score any runs, but they had runners all over the place against Ethan Smith, ironically. Yeah. How are right, you feeling about things? Because I, I do think that offense has got a chance to be good. Yeah, I, th- I think there's um... – from especially what they did last weekend. I mean, you know, you look at it, everything, like every single thing worked. Um, you got to get your, your, you got to get Enrique going and continued going though. Cause I mean, he's the catalyst for everything you do and everything just falls in line. Um, you know, Shrek has, Shrek has, has been as advertised. Didn't start off as quickly, as fast as you would think he would, um, started off slow, but boy, is he, he rebounded and, played like the veteran and then you got the sprinkled in the Maldonado who's the youth Matthew Polk had a great weekend last weekend so they've got the pieces there uh Vastine has has been sharp swings swings a quick bat a lot of exit uh, exit velo on his bat and and he longer from where he was last year so yeah I mean I, I feel good about it now the sample size as I said is really really small but I like the way that overall this team has played over the last six to seven games with that weekend before the Ole Miss series was just, as you mentioned, it was kind of just, they seemed like they got through it, but I think they got the potential to, you know, continue this little hot streak right here. And then, and they can, I think it all starts at the top though. Enrique's got to, <clears throat> I mean, goodness, he's been picked off a couple times. He's, he's been caught stealing more than we thought. Uh, comparatively, I, I'm I'm not sure what what your thoughts on it is. If teams are, you know, I know Bianco coached him in the summer um, on the USA team, the national team, uh, you know, picked him off once last weekend. I mean, he's 15 for 19, uh, but I mean, that's more times he's been caught stealing in the last two years combined. I think, right? I mean, it's <clears throat> as far as four times being caught, it's just unusual to me, but. Um, because when you get him on base, I mean, the last couple of years, it's been like automatic almost a second if he gets on first. But yeah. you can't – you, you got to get on first, and that was his problem. For the first couple – you know, the first couple of weeks of the season, you can't steal first. I mean, you got to get on. And and that was his problem. Now he's 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 been able to get on. Yeah, I've, I've said this consistently all year. It looked to me like he was dealing with some sort of leg injury because he just was not – like the plays he was winning at first on on close balls or making just instant replay level bang bang call type of decision for an umpire he was getting beat by a step or two much of this year now and he seems to have saved it in the outfield i don't see him struggling there but i just have to think there was something that had been hampering him to some degree and he looked a little bit more like the guy that we had come to expect against Ole Miss yeah and and um I, I think so and possibly that was the case we'd never know about it I don't think you know of course no what, what year was tell. it college world series what was in two years ago I think he was banged up the entire series right if you were and, if and you Tim recall. denied it the whole time right 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 <clears throat> you know one thing I will say Chris and if you had seen me I, I talked with a former player I saw him at um, the SEC basketball tournament. I sat behind him in one of the early round games. 
And um, it just goes to show you what the, the difference two weeks makes as far as the way you feel about things. But I turned to this kid <clears throat> who, I, who I met and known for a while. And I said, why in the hell do we get so many people thrown out at third base and, and, and home? And, and why are we getting guys picked off? And because I just wanted to know if there was an insight to, because I know that's very, it's very frustrating to me why that continues to happen. And if you remember, if you recall the marathon game, what was it a couple of weeks ago that went, it was the Evansville game, right? All the, just the, yeah. the catastrophic, just, and I, I don't know if you and I traded text about it, but I don't know if people were missing signs, getting picked off third base, getting picked off second base. It just seems so uncharacteristic for Tim Corbin coached club. And so I asked this player and he just said, you know, obviously the, the pressure is and the philosophy from the staff is to put as much pressure as you possibly can on the defense to make throws, to make the simple throws. Um, and I said, well, yeah, but it just, it seems like that has been a trend for several years. And if you remember, I've harped on this and I got buddies who just wear me out on text threads uh, whenever it happens, you know, there we go again. And I, I, you know, you can do that in high school when, you know, you can say, well, we're going to, you know, in little league, when you're going to say, I'm going to make the outfield, make the throw because a lot of times they can't make that throw. Well, I, I don't think you can do, I think personally, I think we, it just happens too much. And I don't know if it's this guy's being way too aggressive that there were, you know, when you got you, they do have a lot of team speed. That is true. But when you take yourself out of innings, like, has happened and I don't think it happened when well, Bradfield got picked off once that was at first and I don't rec- we were ahead so much in this weekend we didn't have a chance to get thrown out at third or at the plate or uh, those little things I don't know if and we've talked about this before and you know it bugs me but um I just think it happens a little bit too much and it's and it's happened the first couple weeks of the season it was kind of a broken record I'm like what am I missing here but played for Tim he just said you know the emphasis on we we're we're going to take the extra base we're going to be aggressive and just press and press and press and I don't know if you've noticed that or not but it it continues still I think to be if you look at this team some the little things to be as intelligent as they are um it just happens too much to me yeah I I can argue both ways on that It, it feels a little bit not quite. I, I used to refer to it as Eric Backage's flying circus when he was <laughs> coaching third base, and it just seemed like the twenty oh seven team. One year, yeah. I mean, they, they, and and that was a team that could really hit, but it seemed like they would get thrown out on one stupid base running play per game, like it was clockwork. I yeah. felt like, and, and maybe I maybe this is just memory fails. It feels like like a nineteen when they had that loaded lineup and they didn't really need to manufacture runs, I think they led the country in home runs. Maybe they didn't do as much of that. It feels like he made a decision before the season that, hey, there might be some nights we struggle to, to score runs because we don't have a Bleday or an Austin Martin or somebody like that. I know they've got Bradfield, but it's a little different and he's been hurt. And it feels like they made a conscious decision to go back to playing that way at times. And I guess it doesn't bother me maybe as much as it does other people at times because the thing that people forget is they they see a guy picked off they see some of the stuff and yeah some of it 
choose your word, inexcusable, whatever. But people forget those things when they score from second base on an infield ground ball and other times that it pays off or a time that it doesn't show up as a hit, but uh, you know, a, a guy rushes a double play throw or something like that or, you know, they they press an issue by doing something a little bit unconventional that uh, that causes a little information overload on the part of an infield defense and you know translates as them sneaking a run somewhere else if that makes sense yeah and uh, I, I, they've done that for his, Corbin's entire tenure it just seems like to me that well m- more know. more at the first than they they have done in recent years but again I think that was um, to me, uh, hey, we, we may not be able to, to count on five or six runs a game every night like we have a few years in the past, and uh, let, let's let's make sure we get a few because a few might be all our pitching staff needs. That's true. And, and um, you know, when the pitching, when the hitters catch up with the pitching, which I always uh, harp on every year, it's it, the, war, the weather heats up and you get these guys, the bats kind of tend to, the, the arms tend to dominate early and then the bats heat up. As the weather heats up, um, you know we'll we'll see if that can ring true, and the, this pitching staff can stay as dominant as they have been. But um, when you when you do as well as they did last weekend, they they're they're going to be and you hit as well. They're going to beat almost everybody they play. It's just it's whether they can keep that up as the competition also continues to to heat up. I mean, but you know, again, back on the lineup, I mean, there's you know Dominic Keegan's production. You can't really replace that as as well as he was slugging it last year with the home run production, led the team in RBIs, and but they've managed to l- look different. Uh, I think they uh, attack pitches earlier in the count than they have. I know frustrating as it was a couple years ago, and I harped on this when at the College World Series against Mississippi State, this team, and even points in last year where they weren't being as aggressive on hitting fastballs early in the count and attacking, whereas uh, they would seem to take a lot of strike threes right down the middle. And um, they did, it just was not a textbook type of hitting that you you would think at the college game would resonate. And last weekend, and if you listen to Corbin's comments, I think he said that's exactly what they did. They were more aggressive, were able to to, to hit pitches they wanted early in the count and drive fastballs in the gaps and that's what they did and and if they can continue to do that I just I was glad to see that production that just came out of the blue and I hope it wasn't just a one weekend thing I would like to as you just mentioned for them to get that game in last week because that would have been a good precursor to the weekend and get them uh, at least they got out there for three innings but still it's not the same none of it counted so we'll see how they uh, take that to Starkville this weekend. Okay, Chip, I want to talk about a few guys briefly before we hit the mailbag and also talk about the series ahead with Mississippi State. Jack Bolger looked so good this weekend. Just was really hitting the ball on the screws, and that was kind of the guy we got. I remember when he first started playing as a true freshman, he was a guy that that showed some thump in his bat. It just seemed to have mostly disappeared this year and most of last year. I just... Jack just turned into a an infield ground ball hitting machine, and you always knew there was more there, but we just hadn't seen it in a while. To me, that was one of the maybe even the most positive development of the weekend was to see him hitting with the promise that he showed when he got here. 
Yeah, and and you know he was a guy that I think I mentioned this earlier that was kind of if you thought about before he kind of took off 10, 12 days ago that he was going to be just a role player and a midweek player and he was going to have you know Espinal is going to get the job and it you know Espinal turns out you know start off really hot and since then he's he's you know he's batting one seventy two of the year and and Bulger's 273, it was almost it's like they've switched positions. And that just is a testament to the kid sticking with it because he could have sulked and could have, you know, and, and, and said, you know, well, I didn't get my chance or, or um, you know, just played the year out, but he didn't. And he's a kid who's got enough experience. I don't think his arm is, is uh, I don't think this team – top to bottom has a, a plus plus arm behind the plate. I just, that's just a fact uh, compared to some other teams in the sec and around the country. They just don't, but what he does from a leadership perspective, um, the experience and being behind there, it's good to see the way he responded. I mean, th- this game is so strange the way it works and, and the ebbs and flows, Chris. Um, and, you know, for those for those follow this team closely and listen to this podcast, just buckle up. I mean, it's, there's going to be some times, as there is every year, that you you can't get too high or low. Um, I mean, I, I've always been a, a huge Calvin Hewitt fan. I've always thought that, um, and early in the year, he was striking the ball well, making good contact, and uh, playing his position well. He had a blunder, I think it was a couple weeks ago. He might have lost it in the lights. Um, and that's another pet peeve I'll talk about here in a minute and also talking to another former player that did. Um, but I remember, I forgot what it was. It was maybe three weeks ago, dropped a ball in the outfield, misplayed it, um, had a bad weekend. And ever since then he's, he's, he hasn't been able to, you know, he was in the, he was in the left field position almost since day one. And now, you know, here he is, he's. He's not getting to play as much, not getting the at bats. I mean, he got a hit in the, in the only time he got up, but I mean, he's hitting 205 um, on the season. And, you know, I wouldn't have thought that the first week of the season, first three, four games, he was in the lineup. So you have to just, you have to play things out. And, and um, the way Bolger has done to answer your point and, and stay with it. And the same thing that Calvin Hewitt's got to do, he's got to stick with it. He was starting, he's going to get his chances. And I, opportunities and a pinch hit role right now it seems like we're in the middle of the week but there's different uh actors who play these parts and they evolve during the season just like corbin made the move when things weren't going well middle infield he just switched things around and that's why he trains those guys at different spots they're not just shortstops they're not just second baseman they're not just third baseman they're interchangeable to him they take ground balls and training at different spots so they can jump in and it's not a shock to the system when they get switched around and so I think we're going to kind of see that. But, you know, I'm proud of Bulger and what he's done. I hope he can keep it up. And and guys like Calvin Hewitt, um, you know, it seems like Troy Leneve has just disappeared um, from where he was. Gosh, here's a guy who's starting um, part of the season. And, and, and I don't know if he's been dealing with some injuries, but, you know, your TJ McKenzie's, your Troy Leneve's at the bottom, the Espinal who are batting below 200. Those guys are going to have to – they're going to be needed. Um Along with the Calvin Hewitts, because there's going to be there's going to be injuries. There's going to be times these guys have got up to to come in and start um, when someone else is having a slump, and um, they're just going to have to kind of keep up the bottom half of that and 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 keep their positivity going. 
All right, number two, Hunter Owen, because we we can't go this whole time and not talk about the guy that just threw a two-hit shutout of Ole Miss on under 100 pitches, mind you, Uh, which, by the way, that's – you rarely see complete games in college baseball or really any level of baseball now, and you don't expect them to be sub-100 pitches in the college game these days. I I thought that was a thing that really, really – popped to me was Hunter Owen, who now, by the way, has a free pass rate. That's percentage of batters you walk or hit under 10%, which is really good for a college pitcher. I've got my preseason notes after talking to a pretty well-placed team source, and they led with, quote, has the best stuff on the team. I know the pitch that was really working the best for him, and that I was a little bit hit and miss on watching that game, but it was that mid-70s curveball that was working, offset with the fastball. I've got that he throws a two and a four seam. He's also got a curveball and a cutter. I don't know how many of those pitches he used in his last start, but I know the fastball and the curve, he was really working those to offset each other very effectively and throwing them for strikes. Yeah, anytime that you can have that difference in the change of speeds like Hunter Owen did the other night, and he was freezing people. I mean, I got on a plane, I watched part of it, and then I got on an airplane and had to come home. And um, so I I just had to watch the highlights. But, I mean, there's always uh, a Hunter Owen. I mean, he pitched 26 and two-thirds last year. Um he was two and one on the season, four point oh five ERA last year. But it seems like this team and Scott Brown, the pitching coach, always they develop a kid from the previous year who just comes out of the blue and is thrust in the role. And usually that happens in bullpen sessions. It happens over the summer. It happens if they go to the Cape or they go to the you know um, other collegiate leagues, and then they come back in the fall and really establish themselves and there's always seems like this team uh, under this coaching staff has a guy who's who's out of the blue and like you said gets the comments from a source saying he's got the best stuff and he was dominant I mean Ole Miss guys didn't have a clue for most of the game and when you can be that efficient with like you said with his pitch count didn't put anybody on base except one he walked one I was impressed and now he's out there now he's going to get you know the book is out. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be more known about him. But man, if he pitch, continues to pitch, that's a that's quite a one two pitch of the of the um, lefty society. They like to call them, you know, that the lefties being a former. There's sometimes there there have been times on Tim Corbin's staff there hasn't been any or one, uh, and now you've got um, uh, you know you've got the one, two, and three, if they keep rolling it out there the same way or all from the left side. And and that's been unusual. You know, I think it was Berkwich for a while, two years ago, maybe was one of the few left-handed arms they had. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I mean, the, and so now it's kind of flipped. And, um, so, but I, I was impressed with his stuff, Chris. He, he deserved, um, SEC pitcher of the week and, and, um, he was just efficient. He worked quickly. Gosh, you watch these guys and they just work so fast and, especially Holton, who, who sometimes, you know, the worry is he works too fast and they get a slow him down. Um, um, but they, th- this team and this staff has no trouble with the pitch clock. Um, 
that they get it, they get the ball, they look at the wristband and throw it. And I think um, that helps all the people behind them. They, you know, infielders like playing a fast-paced game. Outfielders, and um, and I think that um, you know Hunter Owen throws at a good pace too. And we know that Carter Holden does, and Futrell is, is at the same. Uh, I think they all do work efficiently, work quickly, and and um, and and are attributes to. They don't have to worry about the pace of play getting I I don't think a Vanderbilt pitcher will have any trouble with the clock this year. All right. This is a what's behind door number three that's going to lead me somewhere. All right. For, for guys with any amount of innings thrown on the team, who has got the highest strikeout rate by percentage? In other words, a percentage of batters this guy has faced who struck out the most. Hmm. I'm going to just take a – is it the obvious? Is is it Hunter Owen or is it – no, it's not going to be. That would be too obvious. Not Grayson Moore. I, I'm stumped. Who is it? And I bet I, bet I could have given you five guesses. You wouldn't get this. Sam Laboki. <laughs> he struck out 41% of the hitters he's faced – and he's given free passes to to nine percent. Now he's given up home runs at a seven and a half percent rate. But right. Those are starting to be a lot further in the rearview mirror now. I just did. I I don't know what they figured out with him, but they are getting the Sam Laboki. It looks like that they left off with um, from from freshman year. I don't I don't know sophomore year. We saw some of it. I think he was pitching hurt before he suffered that injury in the Georgia game, which basically sidelined him for two years. But that that guy was so good this last weekend, and it is starting to look like, especially based on where they trust him to throw. Because I remember a, a couple of weekends ago, and this is after he got roughed up, I think it was in Minneapolis or wherever it was, and I'm just thinking, boy, I don't know that that's a spot you want to put him in because they brought him out there in another one of those high-leverage spots. But... My goodness, um, what it, whatever it was with that guy, it, it seems like they figured it out because he is back throwing as effectively as I think everybody had hoped that he would, it seems. Yeah, when was the last time that he threw, Chris? It was 18 months ago when he got hurt. Was it against like Oklahoma State? Here? Oh, no, it, was, it wasn't 18 months ago. It was early 20. to mid-April of 2021. He missed okay. almost two years. Okay, so, okay. But he, he um, and he was throwing really well then. His strikeout ratio, his, he was striking people out then. I remember the two of us having that conversation about Hoboke. I think I was sitting, I think I was sitting with you when he got hurt. Right, I think yeah, I was I, literally – I think I came down from the press box and literally right. was sitting with you. And I think you – or one of us pointed – I think his velo dipped really sharply that inning. And they took and, him And then, out. of course, he – yeah, he comes up holding his elbow, and now you know the rest of the story. Yeah. Well, he, he um, he's such a weapon to have. And you got to forget, you know, the first time he went out there was at weekend one uh, down in Texas. I mean, it, that's going to be uh, – I'm sure there's some things he had to work on. Perhaps his his ball was a little flat, um, working out some jitters. And uh, but man, he's a weapon that to have. And you look up and down. I mean, the guys who didn't even pitch last weekend, who who didn't even get they threw I mean, six was, guys uh, chip. That's all they needed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so you know, you 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 had a um, 
Schultz didn't throw. I mean, who else didn't throw? I'm looking up and down. I mean, you know, you got weapons that they normally put in and top five guys didn't get any work. And that's kind of the problem with not playing that midweek game is they could have pieced together some guys and gotten some work, but you know, it, it, it wasn't needed. And that's kind of an excess of rich, riches sort of, um, but yeah, man, he, he, um, it's good to see him back. And, and, uh, cause I think he's got some really good tools and some intang- intangibles that they're going to need going down. Um, you know, if somebody goes and, and, you know, who knows how this, this rotation, I don't think it's in any way cased in concrete as far as these three guys going. I mean, Futrell had a little more trouble than he's had in the last couple of weeks. And then he had that dominant campaign he had last year. And, and, uh, you know, when he gets his, I think Futrell still changed up his, his best pitch. I think it can be an incredibly effective weapon, but in this league, um, you know, guys can catch up to that, the, the better hitting team. So we'll see if it stays through. And there's some thought of having throwing three lefties out there. If that's, you're going the percentages of, if teams are going to start stacking righties and, and using that to their advantage. But I think as, as things continue to go, they're going to keep that same rotation, but knowing that you have the guys that they have back there on the back end and, and goodness, it is great to see Maldonado throwing the way he is. I mean, last year, he just, it was just a totally different pitcher, um, starting off as a starter. And then he just didn't have it. And I think even Kyle Peterson on the broadcast, uh, listening to him mentioned, he said, man, I, I saw Maldonado last year and I saw him this year and it's, it's not even close as far as his velocity, number one, but his slider has just improved as well. So he, he was just hurt. He was hurt last year and we all knew that, but that just goes to show you that that was the main problem. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. And one thing to remember, too, they're doing this without Andrew Dukanich, who's been on the shelf a couple weeks now. And I think that expectations for him seem to be higher than they were for, for Trell before the season. So that that's another guy that may end up really helping him. I, I have a theory, again, anytime – a, a guy's control goes horribly wrong, and he was walking or hitting a third of the hitters he faced. That's that's a sign that maybe health is an issue, which was the case for him. Uh, and I don't think the strikeout rate, which is 21%, was as high as we expected. So if if they can get him back at full health, that that's another dominant arm they've got that they haven't even been able to take advantage of. And was that a back or a hip? 
or something. I think a, a hip, a, a, hip, I don't know what it was, but yeah. Yeah, well, that's better than being an It wasn't an, elbow. an arm, right. Yeah, well, that's, that's better than being an elbow. I'll tell you, in this day and age, with all these blown arms and elbows and UCLs and headed to the Tommy John surgery, it's, um, that's good to know. That's what I thought. That's what it was at least conveyed to me, and I just wanted to double-check if anything else had come back about that. So, Are you ready for the mailbag? Let's hit it. The mailbag is presented by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please call Taylor or Russell. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. All right, this one from Viewperior. I'm just going to go in order of the, the questions being asked here. This will take us on a little detour, and then we'll get back to some on-field stuff. Chip, there are rumors of premium seating along the first baseline. Additional seating will cover decks as well as seating on top of the green monster. What would you like to see here? Let me preface whatever your answer is by saying that there's been a lot of talk behind the scenes about upgrades coming to Hawkins Field. I've been hearing stuff since last summer. Vanderbilt being the way that it does things does not like to announce anything ahead of time. Um, and so what ends up happening is rumors leak out on my board. There's been stuff I've been hearing privately that's now making its way to my board in bits and pieces. Oh, uh, about a lot of stuff being done to the stadium, new seating, decks, those kind of things, restaurant-type, food-type thing in right field. Uh, what is it that you have been hearing? Pretty much the same. I, I, um, I'm one of those advocates that I wish, you know, if, if you know, this stadium cost, I forgot how much when it was originally built, but this was pre before anything was in the outfield, but that was in, you know, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Um, yeah. So you're talking about, you know, um, I'm one of those advocates. I kind of wish they would have if they hadn't have built the addition in left field over the green monster, the training facility, you would just pick the stadium and move it over to where the intramural fields are and build just a nice, incredibly nice first class, not cramped plenty of room stadium. But that's that too much has gone down the river there as far as the money and, and facilities and the way it is. Um, that would have been my prefer preference, but, uh, you know, you've got donations from former players and you've got, I mean, sure they could do it, but, um, and I've, I've heard some weird things like, uh, another former player, I keep running in these former players, these younger guys, but one mentioned, he said, Hey, you, have you heard that they're going to be moving home plate? You know, they're going to be moving, actually, you know, moving, knocking down stuff, which would surprise me a little bit. I don't know if you'd heard that, um, actually moving um the grandstands um at which would seem to me you know with the closing of jess neely um they can do a lot more now with that street being closed you can't go back too far though you've got you know buildings they're going to be behind there um there you know so um you know you got brand new turf there you're talking about scraping a bunch of stuff and and uh bricks and mortar that would be expensive it seems like to me if you start doing that you might as well just tear down and rebuild but um, there still is going to be limited space, whatever you do. Um, I could see some, an overhang on the first base side, you know, a, a deck situation, maybe doing some stuff, as you mentioned, the outfield. <clears throat> I think Tim, from what I've been told, has always wanted to do something on the green monster. 
maybe a student section or a party pavilion on top of that. I think that'd be really cool. <laughs> There's some liability issues there, of course. You you know, anytime you you, you that's a that's a pretty long fall uh you'd have to protect that and make sure that it's safe but um there's some things you can do i think they the amenity uh, amenities wise concession stands restroom facilities need to be upgraded i think uh there's some things that you could do but that money could run out real quick um and you got to sort of correlate it with what's going to be done with the football um i don't think you really make any plans until that that is done but i do know that um there's been some significant monies donated and set aside from Vandy United. I know there was a gentleman whose name escapes me from Oklahoma, a big donor, former board of trust member, gave five, six million dollars um last year to sort of pay for some things that were being done. I know some things probably, from what I've been told, have been negotiated with between Tim and and the administration over the summer uh after uh, there were some rumors that he could perhaps be going to Clemson, um, that you and I've talked about that I think kind of pushed some things over the top as far as him staying. Um, and it's amazing that, that, <laughs> that kind of happened and not many people realize, uh, that those discussions were going on, but, um, that's the way the world works in contract negotiations. If somebody's flirting with you, you kind of turn around and say, well, I really want to stay, but I'd like to have this, this, and this. And I'm wondering if parts of what the Vandy United campaign of doing with the other sports that this was promised to Tim and his staff, which I think they deserve every bit of that if um, being successful as they've had. So I haven't heard concrete plans. I do know, though, that on top of the um, baseball facility on the Green Monster, that's areas of improvement out in the outfield, yes. Um, you've heard decks and, and off the first baseline would be the only logical thing I could think you do. Um, a lot of the metal in the stadium kind of bothers a lot of people. I know that's bothered some people for years that it kind of cheapens the experience of the metal bleachers. Um, you wonder if they could do some, you know, concrete type seating, uh, underneath there. Um, but you know, no, no specific thing, but I know what I've all said has sort of been mentioned and thrown out there as, as all possibilities. Um, I just realistically, and I'm not sure you do, but I don't see how any of that could be done until they get the football sort of situated. Do you? No, well, I, I don't, it's hard to know without knowing the specifics, but yeah, I, I, to, to hit a couple things you hit, I had also heard that the the Clemson negotiation he very much leveraged to get a lot of stuff um got yeah. told a few things in that I was asked to keep private I'm not even sure if the things I got were 100% on or not but anyway a lot, a lot of more stuff starting to to leak out I'm I'm interested to see what what they'll reveal and and what the plan is look I I think that the stadium's okay the backdrop's nice it just it just seemed to to sort of lack the first class punch that that's commiserate with the program's success, I guess is a good way to put it. And they've they've done some things. They've added the the more comfortable seating. They've done a few little things here and there, but it it needed a lot. I think it wasn't ugly or anything. It wasn't kind of an eyesore like the football stadium is. It's, it was never to that level, but it just needed more oomph to it. I think they're going to get it. Now here's the other thing. This is taking a little bit of a detour. What, what what does it take to get 
game days at Vanderbilt, especially in the infield, um, to, to resemble something more along the lines of an intimidating baseball environment than a, than it does a, a nursing home party. For, and I'm not trying to take a, a shot at age, although it's a very old crowd. But it just, it, I mean, it's it it's got the atmosphere of a of a bingo game at a retirement home. The, the fans don't make any noise other than the whistler. I, I don't know if the that has sucked all the air out of the ballpark. But you're in the stands, you notice it too. It's it's really pathetic. Well. And it's, let me it's... let me. The, this is why I'm, I, I don't know if in the new thing you try to put a student section up on on top of Memorial Gym or in right field and, and try to get them to come out and and just really try to recruit a cup a bunch of people to to make noise and maybe you can somehow enhance that through through the renovations, I, you know, track some sort of a, a setting to where it makes it popular for people who will go out there and be rowdy a little bit. I'm not talking bad or underhanded things or, you know, drunkenness or anything like that. I'm just talking about creating an atmosphere that is severely lacking there. Yeah. That's been a problem for years. And it, you know, when the stadium was built 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, um, you have these long-standing season ticket holders who had tickets, and they were really, really cheap, and the seats were. Well, Chip, so it, was, it was loud there in 2007. Yeah, you know, and yeah. you had some older, but it was loud. That the regional for Michigan was incredible, and I, I don't know how it got to the point to where you, you go out there and you can hear a conversation two sections over in the middle of a game. Yeah, I, and and even when I looked at the broadcast. Um, when I was at the airport of game one of the Ole Miss series. And I mean, it was technically, they, they advertised it a sellout. I mean, the paid was a sellout, but there was, I I guarantee you that was 65% full. Um, There were seats everywhere, especially in the front row. And you have all these long-term Vanderbilt fans who have tickets. Chris, where I sit, I have friends of mine who sit a row behind me and they have five tickets and they showed up at a game one time and I go, Oh, Hey, you know, didn't know you had tickets there. And you go, yeah, we just, we got them. We just don't really ever go. We don't, we just kind of come to the ones we can. And, and so you have these pockets of just rows of seats that are not used and the people eat the tickets. Now to Vanderbilt's credit, they do send emails and text out. Now, I don't know how many people respond and they say, you know, if you're not going to the game, donate your tickets, we'll find some fans who can come to the game um, for you, we'll resell the tickets, get them in good hands, donate them to little league teams or whatever. Then, you know, they started doing what LSU, which I preached for years that LSU does. And I'll just tell it real quick. LSU has a deal and they still do it in the third inning. They've got like a will call, uh, a line out of the stadium because they have the same problem. Um, seats are sold out, but people don't come. So they'll have a line of people in the third inning. They'll let those people in. They pay, give, they resell the ticket basically, but it's general admission and people come running in the stadium and they can fill the empty seats up. Now, if the person comes, it's not like squatters rights. They have to leave if they have that ticket, but they can move to another seat. So they do a good job of trying to, um, 
to to do that. And Vanderbilt started to do that. I noticed some people moved from the outfield. I was at a game and there were some kids in the outfield and there's some high school players and they had their uniforms on and it was one of the midweek games and there were like 30 of them and somehow they all moved to the infield seats in about the fourth inning. So they're trying to do it. I'm not saying it's from the lack of trying. I would call them out if they weren't, if it was from a lack of trying. But yeah, I know. I mean, the average Vanderbilt fan is, is we've talked, people say this on your board. It's an older crowd, um, generally speaking. And um, for all sports, baseball's a little younger, but I know what you mean. But uh, it's just creating that environment where you got to get butts in seats. But the, And then they tried it, and I'll say this, the tickets were too cheap, so they started making the tickets more expensive. So the casual person who's going to like three or four, two series a year and eating their tickets, it was going to have to be more of a financial commitment. Well, that's helped a little bit, but still, I know there's people who only come and they don't sit free. You know, they don't give their tickets to anybody else. So, in uh, long answer, I'm, it's still an issue, but I think it's um, they're trying. I'll call them out on things. You know, I will, Chris. I've, I'm, you know, I'll, if when they're not doing it, uh, I think there's efforts to do that, and I know it probably bugs the team when they show up on a. Thursday night, first game in the series, and there was only 60%. Now it was spring break week, and I'm talking about spring break for high, for public, private. I think Vanderbilt was on spring break, so there was a, a built-in excuse there that there why it wasn't a packed house um, for that Ole Miss series. Uh, I didn't realize that Vanderbilt was also on spring break, the students, but they were. So there was a little bit of that going on, and hopefully as the weather heats back up, um, it'll get better in that in that category. All right, via Pierger, next one. Can Futrell be as effective as Holton and Owen as the Sunday starter? I think so. He's, you know, he's the strike thrower. Um, Change-up's his best pitch, I think, that he control the most and, and get people off balance. Will he hold on to that for all year? Um, it remains to be seen. They're throwing those first two guys out there, keep throwing the way they are. Uh, do they want to throw three lefties out in a series um, for the the entire year? I don't know, but it's a good problem to have. I, I, I trust the kid. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, there's enough people behind him if he falters and maybe uh, is is more of a mid reliever. Or, um, I don't see him thrusting back into that midweek role. I think he's still going to be a, a effective as a weekend guy. Maybe uh, you know not just necessarily starter. But um, I think perhaps that last weekend performance is not as sharp as he's been in the last couple. Uh, you know, I know he missed the, the, the series in, in Minnesota. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's not has been as dominant as he was and in, 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 um, as he was last year. But I think it remains to be seen. And we'll, we'll, I'll let you know in a, in a weekend or two if that's, if that's true. But I think he's. I like the way he throws. I like the way he controls three pitches. Uh, breaking ball's gotten a little bit better than it was last year. I think that was a pitch of the three that he uses is not as strong. Um, and I think he's gotten a little bit better. But, man, he can he's Glavin-esque as far as how he can throw that change up on the outer half of the plate and, and, and fool people. So I think it remains to be seen. Okay, View Perry also says, what's the deal with the new rule about the pitcher licking his fingers before the pitch? I don't know that one specifically. Um, I do know that they were going to have, and I don't know what form this was going to take. Maybe this is part of it. A little more emphasis on on checking for 
Yeah. Or guarding against baseball doctrine. Not not that anybody in the league would have been doing that a year ago, of course. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where that question ties in, but maybe you do. Well, I, I did notice, funny he mentions that. Um, I did notice on television, Holton went right to his mouth while standing on the rubber uh, and licked his fingers and then and rubbed the ball up while he was standing there. And um, I do not know, I would just be guessing if I said that. I do know the old rule was that it was a general rule that if it was cold enough, that they would tell both teams before the game, you're going to be allowed to go to your mouth um, because it's cold or, you know, you know, um, and that's at least back when I, and I pitched. And then when I was doing broadcast, um, I know that was the rule. Now, if there's something new, because I would have thought they would have been the reverse when he did that, he went to his mouth as much as they're doing the, when he licked the ball, licked his hands and then went right to the ball. It's like, Oh God. I mean, I saw it and I was like, they're going to call something because the way they're doing the pitch clock and the way they're doing checking gloves in major league and they're doing all this restrictive stuff. I was surprised, but, um, it, it, I know in baseball in the past that there's been a gentleman, gentleman's agreement. They go to both coaches and they would just say, we're going to let you rub your, you know, lick your fingers because it's so cold and it's hard to get a grip on the ball, whether that's changed or not. I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that they changed it with there seems like with the ball that, you know, the, they're making the seams flatter over the years and not as big as seams because they want it to be, you know, not as much break and foreign substances on the glove and all the. It seems like it would be a. It, they wouldn't let you just do that, um, and and because and being restrictive on everything else. So I think it might have been something with the temperature that night. That's just my guess. We'll try to find out. VU Matt 23, who's the most underrated pitcher on the staff right now, he also adds he's glad the Chip Podcasts are back as they are some of the best. Well, that's nice. Nice of you to say. Thank you. Um, good to be back. Um, got underrated pitchers. Uh, that's, that's really hard to say um, at this time. Just, gosh, they've, they've got such a, you know, I mean, it's easy to say <laughs> – based on what's happened, what happened last week, last weekend, I mean, goodness, you know, Hunter Owen, um, as far as passing expectations, but, um, I don't know, who would you think, Chris? It's, it's, we didn't get a good sample size last weekend because not many of them pitched. Um, and I know they pitched on the season, but, um, as far as being underrated, um, that's a tough call. That to me, because you got some established guys like Schultz, who's been around. I know Riley's been somewhat of a disappointment uh, this year, at least so far. Um, you could say Laboki, but Laboki to me was proven two years ago with well as well as he threw two years ago, February when he got hurt. Um, that's not really underrated to me because I, I know what stuff he has uh, from. He seems like he's sort of picked it back up or got you know from what he when he last pitched. Who would you say? Well, I would have would have argued that people didn't appreciate Hunter Owen enough. I think probably that's been taken care of with the complete game two hitter. I made my argument for Laboki. I don't know that people realized how good he'd been, other than you know, of course there there was some disaster in there. Um, yep. But Bryce Bryce Cunningham. I mean, there's a guy who's been lights out. Has not given up a run. He's got a 35 percent strikeout rate. Grayson Moore's one. Uh, the ERA is 502. 
but you dive into the numbers a little bit more. He's got a 13% free pass rate. That's not a high. It's probably average. You'd like it lower. He struck out 35% of the hitters. Um, He has got... He's only got a 6% ground ball rate. You'd like to see that a little bit higher. But the... I think the some of the numbers against him, uh, it's it's a 424 batting average on balls in play. That's really hurt. Um, pro- probably Bryce Cunningham. I mean, yeah. to to wit, we haven't talked about him yet, and he's been lights out. Yeah, and and he had, um, if you remember, he kind of came on at the end of the year last year, and so uh, it's good to see him pitch as well as he has. I mean, you know, goodness. 19 strikeouts in 15 or third innings. That's that's pretty daggum good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you and second your 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 notion there that uh, Bryce Cunningham's probably the most underrated guy on the staff. Okay, baseball bros was last week in a combination of Ole Miss being overranked after playing a cupcake schedule and Vanderbilt having a great weekend, or that Vanderbilt is great that it destroyed the number three team in the nation, which is a good team in its own right. I'm gonna give you a little bit of my take before you answer. Vanderbilt probably had played the toughest schedule in the league coming in. And I've, I've looked at everybody's schedules. And, and Ole Miss was probably up there because it actually played, let's see, it had that same weekend that Vanderbilt did in, in, in the Big Ten event. And let's see. I'm trying to find Ole Miss's schedule here. Excuse me just a second. It played a full weekend against Maryland, which is preseason ranked. Uh, and then and then Delaware in there and Purdue also, which neither of those are great teams. But yeah, I think Ole Miss losing Hunter Elliott really changed the complexion of of Ole Miss because he was a, a lights out Friday night guy, and you lose that guy and it changes the complexion of your team. I think it was to me it was like you could play the whole weekend again; it wouldn't be that lopsided again. Probably in ten tries, I could be wrong. Uh, and and having no Elliott, and I think Ole Miss was a little bit overrated. I just don't think the pitching staff right now in its current shape is is that great. Uh, but anyway, your, your your turn now that I've <laughs> I've, I've taken a lot of the best points no, away that, that's, from you. There's a lot to, to that. No, no, I, I think Ole Miss is is wounded on the pitching staff wise. So I think they they were hurt there, and that really hurt them. And with two of their starters. Uh, being out, you have to take that in consideration. Um, I think, as I said, and I think I may have said this in one of the first statements, I don't think Ole Miss is as bad as they showed, and I don't think Vanderbilt at this point in the season, uh, if you take this thing out the next 10 to 12 weeks, uh, will do what they did last weekend again or as well. I think this it fell perfectly well for Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm not saying that – Vanderbilt's not any good or we're, we're not a top 15 program or whatever. I just think it, things just fell uh, incredibly well. So it's like that one of those things, you know, you're not as bad. Coaches use that. You're not as bad when you play horribly. You're not as bad as you really think you are. And when you win by 30 in basketball, you're not as good as you showed. Um, it's just one of those things. I think it, everything fell together. So uh, I do think it will be to this team's advantage going forward that they played the strongest schedules they did and I think you're going to find, based on experience, you're going to find that the teams that did not play as strong schedules and did not see the 
frontline arms uh, across the board and have these inflated records, I think you're going to see that kind of correct themselves. It always seems to do. Now, the Kentuckys of the world, South Carolinas of the world, they're kind of they're feeling pretty good about themselves right now, and that can take you a long way. That can absolutely uh, be worth a couple victories later on, but just because of the conf- confidence factor that you get that you, these guys, especially South Carolina has been down for a couple years and Kentucky has been down for many years, uh, where they start feeling good about themselves. And next thing you know, you're, you're winning games. You shouldn't in the conference. But, um, I think that to answer the question in short, which I didn't do, um, I think it's a mixture of just, uh, somewhere in the middle there. We'll, we'll know more about Ole Miss this weekend. Um, when they play, Florida, Florida at home. Uh, isn't that right? Don't they play Florida at home? Um, That's correct. And we'll find out more about them. And and uh, But we might really not know about them for a while until they get healthy, if they do get healthy on the, on the pitching side. Chip, that's seeing the mailbag. I'm out of time for today. Uh, thank you for joining us, but want to give you a minute to give a shout out to your real estate business. I know you do a lot of, a lot of work with clients and helping people find new homes, and it even helps some podcast listeners. So wanted to give you a minute to to tell folks about that. Sure. We um, love helping uh, Vanderbilt fans, Southeastern Conference fans, anybody listen to this. We um, have over 180 agents in two locations, an office in Brentwood in the Maryland Farms area, and then one in Green Hills, uh, just about a block or two uh, west of the mall, the Green Hills Mall. So we've been in business since 1957, love helping Customers find their dream home buying or selling their home. This is still a um, somewhat of a, a seller's market, but things that, boy, we talked about, we hadn't talked since the summer or maybe it was around the draft time, but uh, things have changed a little bit in the world as far as interest rates and, and pricing and things have slowed down. But there's still an opportunity here uh, for anyone looking to buy or sell their home to use um, the agents, our expertise that we have and the experience and the knowledge and and uh, the contacts that we have in the community uh, are, are second to none. So give us a call at 615-327-4800. You can check us out on the web at frederickandclark.com. You can look at our listings and listings of homes all across the country. Or excuse me, the Pittsburgh area, the all counties surrounding Nashville. And uh, we can hook you up with one of our personal agents. I know I've talked to some uh, some listeners over the last years about their home needs and, and happy to help them out. So again, it's frederickandclark.com, 615-327-4800. We love to help uh, your listeners out for their real estate needs. Hey, thanks, Chip. We'll join you or we'll look forward to you joining us again next week. Okay, Chris, take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. 
And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.